Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.17 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. And I'm not going to lie to you, we're coming off just like a normal Sunday. A lot of times I'm like, oh man, today was amazing. I mean, today was really good, but it was just normal. Last week was our um, two-year anniversary. Uh, This week, uh, we uh, continued kind of this little series that we're doing where we're talking about Jesus, go figure, and it was um, daylight savings time, so, uh, excuse me, I'm going to leave that yawn in just for you, just so you know how tired I am. Anyway, speaking of daylight savings time, Hannah and I were sure that there was going to be like three people at church today since... You know, everybody came last week and we lost an hour, but we had a great crowd. So thank you so much to you if you were there in person. Thank you so much to you right now if you are listening. And thank you so much if you just engage with us in any way. Uh, with one small exception, you may have seen an ad or a video that we put on social media this week. And we highlighted a bunch of bad engagements that we had from some jerk Christians. So if you're one of those people... I specifically don't say thank you. (laughs) Uh, If you want to know what I'm talking about, go check out our socials. I think it's posted on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We are Diff Church everywhere. D-I-F-F-C-H-U-R-C-H. No real announcements today. Uh, I announced that I think you rock, and I hope you're doing great. And um, Hannah, why don't you uh, tell everybody what we're talking about? Okay, so y'all ready for some Jesus? Yes. Yes, because we're talking about Jesus. Of course we are. We're talking about another famous Jesus story. Uh, This time when Jesus heals a paralyzed person. Now, on social media this week, specifically Instagram, we've been talking about grief and healing and how to process through hard things and the idea of being made whole. And so we're kind of continuing our conversation this morning. And I want to use this story because Jesus asks a very crucial question, which is, do you want to be made well? And even though this question is asked of a person who's paralyzed from birth, I think it speaks to us because to be made well is to be made whole. And to be made whole is to get to experience all of life's abundance. So this is the passage in John chapter five, verses one through nine. It says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up and pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed and he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Cool. Now, Let's do some background, okay? Um, Jesus goes into Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, which was so cleverly named because sheep entered the city through that gate. It is still there. You can look at it if you want to. And the pool was, like, right inside. And it was separated by a dividing wall, thank God, because the sheep would come in and then get dunked to be clean on one side, and then on the other side, people would bathe. So, I don't know, you probably don't want to be, like, washing yourself up next to a sheep, gross. Um, maybe you love sheep. I don't know. I'm not trying to like make people who love sheep mad. <laughs> but like this pool of Bethesda was a well-known place. 
of healing in just inside the walls, like just north of where the temple would be located. And the sheep were washed because they were going to be sent as a sacrifice at the temple, which was right there. Now, you can see it, okay? The pool is there, the gate is there. Everything's there, it's been excavated by archeologists. Fun fact though, until the 19th century, there was no evidence that this pool existed. And so a lot of scholars were like, we don't have any evidence, so we're just gonna assume that the book of John is wrong. It's either written by someone who has no clue, or it was written later by someone who didn't have firsthand experience. And then they discovered it. And they were like, oh, <laughs> I guess it's right. Um, which is an important point to make, I think, in general about the Bible, because as we discuss often, the Bible is an ancient text written for ancient people, not for us, even though we constantly apply our knowledge and our modern ways of thinking to it. And probably I'm about to make everybody mad, <laughs> conservatives and liberals. Um, just because there's no evidence that something in the Bible happened does not mean it didn't happen. And just because there is evidence that something mentioned in the Bible exists does not mean it happened exactly the way it was written down. That's enough stirring the pot for right now. <laughs> Back to the pool. Bethesda means house of mercy, which is fitting because the people who arrived there needed healing, usually physical healing. Both Jews and pagans were like, this is a sacred spot. And the way it worked is, randomly, the waters would just like bubble. And when this happened, the first person to get in, so they said, would be healed. Scientifically, it was an underground spring. And sometimes it overflowed and the waters would bubble. But they didn't know that on account of living a long, long time ago. So the legend was there's an angel that comes down and the angel causes the waters to bubble and this is how you get healing. So the first person dives in healed. Can you imagine just a frenzy of people when the waters start bubbling, just diving and everyone's diving it. Was anyone healed? I mean, obviously somebody had to be healed. Otherwise this legend would not have existed. Um, but what if three people jumped in the water at the same time? Was then the angel like, nope, it's only one, sorry. Were they all healed? We don't know. Now, it's just a guess, okay? But when I read this passage, I get a picture that the paralyzed man probably started coming to the pool as a child. Like maybe his parents brought him as an infant or a toddler. And they probably waited with him and stayed by the pool so that when it started bubbling, they could just rush him in at a moment's notice. But the waters only bubbled every once in a while. It was completely unpredictable. Maybe they got discouraged. Maybe they had to do other things. Maybe they had a business. Maybe they had other children they had to take care of. So maybe eventually they started bringing him in the early morning and left him there to interact with other people all day. And then eventually it just became where he lived lying under the shade for 38 years. Now, John, the writer, uses this word to describe the people that are there, lying in the shade next to the pool. Um, and it means without strength or power. So just all these people, dozens of people, and they had no strength physically, no strength spiritually, and they needed someone to help them. And they had this idea that somehow an angel would help them if they could just be first into the water. Um, and the man had no one to help him which maybe means that his family had like abandoned him or maybe they had just died because life expectancy was not long and he was already 38. So maybe his parents weren't alive or maybe like us, they've only visited their sick relative in a nursing home only once in a while. 
they just kind of given up on him having a chance. That's just his life. That's just where he was. Can you imagine the cognitive dissonance for this guy? He's 38, okay? He spent his whole life waiting for the water. And he is convinced he will never be healed. He's like, I can't get in there first because I can't move. Um, no one is here to put me in the water, so I'm literally never going to get healed. And at the same time, he lives next to this water that occasionally randomly bubbles. And I, even if he is 100% convinced that he's never going to get in the pool, can you imagine just the surge of adrenaline that goes through his body whenever the water bubbles? And he's like, Meh. oh. And then it just settles back down into the everyday disappointment of life. That's where he lived. He didn't have anywhere else to go. Now, here's one way to look at it, which I have heard in the church circles that I have been a part of. Um, this interpretation goes like this. You ready? Clearly, the man Jesus found lying next to the pool had made a way of life out of laying there waiting to be healed. Uh, Jesus' question to him was like, do you want to be healed? Or are you happy to spend your days just lounging by the pool in the shade? <laughs> with the excuse that someone else is always getting there ahead of you. Haven't you heard this interpretation? Yeah, okay. So this interpretation tells us what? This guy's lazy. It's his fault. We can't possibly blame the system that's like not set up to care for this person. So we have to blame him. We have to blame him. It's his fault. Um, he's just a panhandler, basically. Uh, he's not interested in actual change when he can just lie around and do nothing all day. Now, like most unhelpful interpretations, a little bit of truth, but not the whole story. Okay, so 38 years is a long time to wait for a miracle. That's like my whole life plus a little. For some of you, it's not quite your whole life. <laughs> Jarrett, Jarrett just turned 40, just so you know. <laughs> just, it was like a month ago, two months ago. What month is it? March? Two months ago. <laughs> um, from the man's own admission, he had no hope of ever reaching these waters. Right? Like, you have to wonder why he's still there. For years? Still there. When he's like, this isn't working. It's never going to change. This is where I am now. What? <laughs> um, so in this sense, it is a good question. Do you want to be made well? Because if you do, you are going about it the wrong way. <laughs> um, unless something gives, it's not going to happen. But to make matters worse for this guy, there's this prevailing belief in ancient culture, not just Jewish culture, but like ancient culture, Romans, Greeks, that if you, if something was wrong with you physically, it's because your parents or like your grandparents sinned. You, they did something wrong and God is punishing you. Or in the Greek and Roman instance, one of them, who knows which one <laughs> is punishing you. So can you imagine just the burden of like, I, my, none of my limbs work. And it's my parents' fault. God hates me. And like, I feel like Jesus' question can seem really odd or insensitive. Like, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> like, obviously, he's at the pool. Why else would he be there? However, I think if we really stop and think about it, there's a lesson to be learned here because when it comes to being made well physically or mentally or spiritually, repetition is not necessarily a virtue. Jesus already knew the answer to this guy's question, right? But he wanted him to tell him what he wanted. This guy didn't need his pity. He needed to be given the opportunity to speak to someone who could actually help him. Hear me, y'all, okay? Because 
wanting things to be different and wanting to change are not the same thing. Change takes effort and commitment. And what we intellectually know this, we're like, yes, we must work at addressing our problems. But like, do, I mean, feel like we often wonder if we're up to the task or we might be more concerned about what other people think than actually being committed to pursuing peace in our minds and our souls. We might feel defeated and unable to move in a place where we want things to be different. But what we really mean when we say something has to give is we need someone to come in and just fix it for us and magically take away the things we're carrying or rearrange our lives so it's somehow easier. But actually what we need is not for things to be different. We need someone to help us make a change. Things won't be different unless something changes because repetition is not a virtue. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is insanity, right? Bethesda, this pool, conjured up these flashy images of like ancient healing, but it was this remote, very infrequent chance. And then along comes the Son of God and Jesus is like, get up. And he just accomplishes in one second what the pool stood for, but had not successfully done in 38 years. One word is all it takes. Side note for the theology nerds. This is a literal example of the word became flesh. This is how John starts his whole gospel. The word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus says, get up, which is the word used is the word in the New Testament used for the resurrection. Get, get up. And it became flesh. It became human when the man stood up. But the guy had to participate. I don't think, like, do we really understand how crazy this is? He had to, first of all, try to get up, which he had never done before. Can you imagine if you've never walked ever in your life and someone's like, you should get up? Do you be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he tried to get up. His legs were probably like this big around. He stood up. He had to do that. And everyone's watching, by the way. He had to decide that if it worked, if somehow, you know, this was the thing, was able to stand, that his whole life would change. He couldn't stay by the pool any longer. His spot reserved for 38 years would now be open to someone else, which would mean what? Well, he's going to have to go on the terrifying adventure of surviving life, <laughs> um, not just on the leftovers of clothing and food that people probably dropped off there or that his family brought. He's going to have to find a place to live, maybe find a job, maybe like what? And most terrifying and probably most uncomfortable, look his friends and people who were there with him day in and day out for all these years in the face while he was healed and they weren't. He was no longer one of them, his whole social community. I feel uncomfortable just thinking about that, like gets me. Which brings me to a really uncomfortable question <laughs> that I don't have an answer for. It's a question I haven't heard asked in any sermon about this person, but it, has, it is one that I've wondered about. Maybe you've wondered about it too. Maybe it'll make you uncomfortable. What about all the other sick people at the pool? Jesus healed this one guy. Not everyone else. It's kind of rude. We know about this one guy because the religious leaders got really mad that he was like carrying his sleeping mat on the Sabbath. They were like, how dare you? And 
okay, first of all, he hasn't done any work for 38 years. Do you think God could give him a pass like this one time? They don't have to be like, excuse me, sir. We know you've never walked before, but how dare you walk? <laughs> um, and I suppose we could say that like Jesus might have healed everyone in the pool because we don't know. I would imagine it seems unlikely because if everyone was healed, the religious leaders would have been even more upset, right? Um, but let's say, just for the sake of assumption, if everyone at the pool was healed, that would have been wonderful, which would have been dozens and dozens of people. But then the next day, there would have been dozens more. And they wouldn't be healed because Jesus had already moved on. So either way, if it was just one guy or a whole group of people, that's still pretty uncomfortable. What about the other people? Do they not matter? I really wish I could give you a satisfactory answer for this dilemma that makes less feel upset with God's choices. And I do not have any such answer. All I can give you is a couple of thoughts to ponder. Um, like, first of all, we often assume that just because God can do something, that God should do it. And if God doesn't do it, that's because God is a horrible person. And I'm going to avoid saying things like God has a plan because I don't know that that fits with some of our life experience. Um, but what I will say is sometimes we are not ready for things to change very drastically. Sometimes instant healing is to our detriment because mentally we're not ready to make that leap. It does not apply in every circumstance, right? But it's something to think about. And second... The other idea I want us to consider is perhaps we have messed up ideas about the things that need healing and the things that don't. Like we tend to look at any like physical imperfections as somehow outside of God's creation. For example, like neurodiversity or physical disabilities, um, physical conditions. We just assume whatever it is, if it doesn't fit the normal mold, it's wrong. Is it? Or are we the ones who are so committed to categorizing everyone that we fail to see the beauty in all the ways that people are created? And I do not in any way mean to minimize the actual suffering that people go through because it is very hard to fit into a binary world that's made for quote unquote normal people when you have anything that may not be considered normal. It's a very complex question. If you're a nerd and you want to do further research, I highly recommend Amos Young's book, The Theology of Down Syndrome. It's big. So he's much wiser than I. But this is very uncomfortable, right? Like, is, is someone who is, has different abilities than us, is that a disability? Or do are we perhaps, again, blaming the system or blaming the person instead of the system that's not set up to care for all people? Uncomfortable questions. Uncomfortable answers. But this is the space we dwell in when we think about healing. Like, what, what about us? Do we want to be made well? Do we want to experience life in all of its abundance? Because, going back to our discussion of grief, we very often get stuck in our old patterns, just repeating them endlessly and somehow expecting a different outcome. We repeat misinformation. We rehearse old prejudices. We practice old and stale patterns of behavior. We replay thoughts and opinions that were formed years ago. 
without checking to see if they're still valid? And more importantly, do they even serve the cause of a healthy person and a healthy faith? Maybe we need to try a new approach because what do we want to be made well? Because if we do, we may have to step out of our comfort zone and take a leap of faith and venture out into the unknown. If we're determined to hold on to the crumbs of serotonin that we have, we may be closing the door to the possibilities that God has in store for us. We're like, no, no, I have this tiny bit of happiness. This feels comfortable. I don't want to get up. What if everyone sees it? What if I get up and then I fall over? Well, yeah, you, it doesn't say if this guy fell over, right? He probably did. Again, his legs were about this big. They had never been used. He probably wasn't great at walking. Have you ever seen a baby try to walk? They're terrible. Even Nova, she's like much practiced now for like a month and a half. She still walks like this sometimes. And I'm like, what are you doing? You look like a penguin. It's a very cute penguin. <laughs> She has to learn. This guy had to learn to walk too. It was probably very awkward. He probably felt like everyone was staring at him. It might be a really easy question to answer, but do you want to be made well? Well, obviously, of course I do. I want to be, I want to experience life in all of its abundance. Like, what a stupid question. But then we have to go to the next question, which is what is it that I need to be healed from? Because it's awfully hard to heal from something when you don't know what it is that's bothering you. What's standing in your way? Is it you? I ask that question not in any kind of sense to put shame on you, but to really consider what, what is standing in your way of experiencing life to its fullest capability? What sort of things have to change about your life for you to be made whole? Are there things we need to let go of? Are there... Are we holding on to anger or some injustice from a long time ago? Are we holding on to grief and just always looking back to something or someone that we held dear? Are we holding on to destructive habits? We want to be healthy and whole, but we're just not willing yet to stop numbing and coping with what bothers us in destructive ways. Are we holding on to shame around the idea of seeking support? from other people, friends, family, faith community, counselor? Are we holding on to the lie that keeps telling us that survival mode is your life? Instead of reaching for the space where you're thriving, are we maybe holding on to a narrative that says there's something wrong with you? Other people can do it and you can't. They're fine and you're not. There must be something wrong with me. Instead of remembering that actually every, everybody struggles and the areas where we struggle are just the places we need more support. There's nothing shameful in that. When the man was told to get up and get his bed, it must have seemed like the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard in his life. He tried it though and he took his first steps. He was physically healed and set on a journey of healing. Because it's not like Jesus was like, you're healed. And he was like, I am, I can dance a jig now. No, his whole life had to change. And even he's physically healed, right? Now he has to recover from 38 years of being that person. 
that doesn't happen overnight. That's not how it works. There's no faith without action, right? What was that scripture? It's like, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. What evidence? The physical evidence? Faith is when you actually take a step when you've been told you can't or when we've told ourselves we can't. Wanting things to be different and wanting a change are not the same thing. So the question is, what step can we take? What step can you take today? We get, the, we get stuck in like, we catastrophize about everything. We're like, if the world's ending, because you know, like I spilled my coffee this morning. I didn't, it's all in my belly. <laughs> but like, if I did, I would be like, like everything, this day is ruined. The whole week is ruined. My life is ruined. Everything's terrible. Like, oh, I have a sniffles. I must have COVID. I might die. The whole world's gonna die. We're all dead. <laughs> like we just, we just go off the deep end. Immediately we start getting like these crazy thoughts, but we do it. <sighs> We do it about good things too. We're like, oh, well, if I wanna be healed, well, then I have to eat better and drink enough water and get enough sleep and go to counseling and I have to be honest with everyone that's ever hurt me of all time and I have to, we just let all these things I have to do. So it's just overwhelming, I can't do it. Okay, what is one thing you can do today? What is one thing you can do this week? What is God setting before you that you can maybe set down, just set it down, a little bit of your anxiety, a little bit of your tenseness, a little bit of your shame, and say, maybe I can tiptoe towards healing. And I will end with the words from our benediction last week, which said this, if the pain is deep, we will have to let it go many times. And still, we do not need to escape our lives. We just need to be present for it.